You are listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. I'm Graham Brown, your host. In this series, we feature the GIIS community of teachers, parents, students, and thought leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities, and challenges that are shaping learning in the 21st century. Okay, so this is Graham Brown. I'm sitting with Melissa Maria, the principal of Smart Campus here in the beautiful campus of GIS in Singapore. We're going to talk about nurturing students as leaders of tomorrow. Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure. Great to have you here. So I wanted to learn a little bit about leadership in the classroom, why we need it. As a parent, I'm interested what it means to my son, for example, what it means to the, the wider community and why we need it. How would you describe yourself first? Are you an educator? Are you a teacher by trade? What's your background, Melissa? So I am a teacher by choice. I've always wanted to work with children and I thought this is the best way. So I chose to, you know, get myself trained. Mm. You should have the skills, requisite skills to be trained. And I also felt that this is one way that I could actually get children to take responsibility. So my own idea about leadership, cliche though it may sound, mm. that has got nothing to do with designations and titles. Agreed. Leadership's not a job title. No, it is not. It is a deep passion to make a change mm. into a situation or environment that you feel is perhaps not as desirable. So when I was looking at my own schooling, I felt that there were things that could be done better. And so obviously I got on to teaching and then very soon realized that unfortunately you may need that title and designation and position if you have to bring about any changes. So that's my kind of journey. I began teaching but soon got into leadership mm. because I felt you do need that perhaps authority sometimes to bring that change. So you were schooled in Mumbai? I was. So I imagine it was quite a traditional schooling. It was very, very traditional. Leadership there would have been a title or a designation. Title and very authoritarian. Yeah. You did what you were told. Yeah, I think our generation was brought up expecting that, that you did what you were told, yet... Uh, I guess we're going to talk about this a bit in depth as well. When you go out into the world, when you graduate, you have to pick yourself in many aspects now. There, there are no more jobs where you get paid a lot of money to be told what to do all Absolutely. day. Right? And I feel now this generation coming through are learning that. Yet, I think traditionally we haven't skilled them. We haven't prepared them for that world that lies away. So maybe before we dive in and talk about some of the programs here, what is the problem? I mean, I come from the world of business and we always say start with the problem. What is the problem now in education in terms of managing this next generation of talent for the world that's out there? What's the mismatch? What's missing? Because you talked about, for example, you know, leadership's not there in the traditional education. What is the mismatch there in the market? So I think in traditional schools, what one looks at, again, you have a set syllabus, you have a set curriculum, you have a teacher standing in front, you have maybe a coordinator above the teacher, 
everything is structured and it all works with when the top starts telling the next level starts doing i think we need to move away from that we need it to be ground up where the child feels this need to make a change to something now if that kind of empowerment doesn't come in for the children and they're constantly waiting to be told what to do we're going to have huge problems mm. so i think from my perspective at this school this is what we are encouraging children to take ownership for things that they want for themselves so if i do not want to sit behind the desk then i should be empowered enough to tell the teacher i'd like to have something outside get me a class outside mm. i mean this is not about dictating or throwing tantrums but making your voice heard and i think learning is about that and empowering children to be to be able to voice that is leadership mm. so i i think that's the mismatch and if we are able to bridge that which i think at gis we are definitely endeavoring to do i think it will be a better place outside for education yeah absolutely and happier children as well happier students yes because that has an impact on them correct if if you can i suppose in a way determine your own pathway in life surely that is key to happiness do you see that with i mean we'll talk about work in a minute but just generally as the whole child happiness do you see the impact of that here if you teach leadership does it make them more does it improve their well-being i think once again i'll i'll go back to what students want they want to be respected they want to be listened to i think when you provide for this there is the sense of achievement that in itself leads to happiness i think right early on we spoke about happiness 2008 mm. when we had our balestier campus young children we felt what is it that is really going to kind of you know make them feel happy about school is that ability to articulate what they want allowing them to experience that a sense of achievement and that of course is going to lead to very high self esteem a sense of well being and happiness mm-hmm. so i think it has direct correlation you know giving them their voice respecting them allowing them to say what they want this in itself is leadership mm. and i think it has correlation to happiness directly okay well let's have a look at leadership in childhood and what its place is and we've talked about happiness we've talked about self esteem and in a world now where i feel children growing up very different to our generation that now we have social media everywhere and it seems that children are comparing themselves by not necessarily by their own willing but the fact they have all this technology everywhere comparing themselves to other children all the time and they're on Instagram comparing how many likes they get for this photo compared to this and in that world it seems that a lot of the ideas of happiness come from the outside what other people think of you but what we're teaching here in leadership surely is about from the inside and how does that work do children and i say children because you know obviously these start from 
you know, a very, very young, young age. Yeah. Do they understand that? Is it too young to teach leadership? So, you know, when I think of leadership, I go back to the traditional ideas of the guy in the uniform, the guy with the title, the guy telling me what to do. What is leadership even like with a five-year-old? See, we've broken one big misconception that things can change by, you know, decisions made by adults. We said that's not true. Let's look at, you know, issues of global warming. Hmm. We felt a conference, you know, the general thought is at conferences, decisions get taken and then things will move. But we've made a very conscious decision. Let us have inputs right from young age. So our kindergarten classes, our global Montessori program that we, plus program that we run, have children who are two and a half to five year olds. And we kind of broached the topic to them, speaking about recycling, you know, just giving them information and then seeking from them what they would like to do to make a change. Children, three years, four years, five years, have been able to tell their parents, you're wasting water, mm. you're wasting electricity, you should switch off the light, you should switch off, you know, the aircon if you're not using it. This is leadership. Did parents like that? They were firstly spellbound. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> There's a little bit of digesting what's going on here. So they came back to school and say, what are you guys doing in yeah. school yeah. that our kids tell us? Like there was a child telling his father when you're shaving, you don't need to keep the tap on. <laughs> there was another one told her mother, you need to take a cloth bag to the market, yeah. not a plastic bag. This is leadership. Yeah, interesting. Where a child is taking responsibility for wanting to make a change with the environment and bringing that change. So, yeah, there are little formal platforms that we offer as well. Mm. This is through information and, you know, getting them to act. But yes, we offer opportunities so that every child has an opportunity to experience leadership. So you'll have leaders like a corridor leader who will ensure decorum. You will have a class monitor. You will have a board monitor who will ensure that the board is cleaned at all times. You will have a monitor for energy. So energy monitor. Mm. When they're moving from one class to another, electricity has to be switched off. There's one who does the patrolling of the entire, you know, wing when they're out into the playground to make sure that all lights, the energy monitors have done their job. There's a welcome committee monitor. So these are all opportunities that we provide to children to experience leadership and demonstrate leadership. Mm. Going back to that boy who told his dad to turn off the tap water when he was shaving. How old was he? He was about five. So he was five. Now, as a parent, obviously, like you say, maybe a little bit shocked to hear that for the first time. And especially if you've been trained through a traditional system that may sound a little bit like insolence, <laughs> you know, that sounds like my child talking back to me. Yet in the world of work, how important that is now that somebody doesn't take the attitude of, well, it's not my job to fix something. You know, if they see something broken, they fix it. We need those people now. Those are the people who create these valuable companies and the, the new startup generation as well. Yet, how do we make sure that that doesn't become a generation of people telling people what to do? 
you know, there's a, there can be a difference there, isn't it? You know, the, the kids that go around and that you know tell people to turn off the lights or monitor the water or whatever. How do we not just turn that into leadership is telling people what to do? How do you train them at an early age that it's more than that? It's it's much deeper than that. So you know, when we have sessions, one is for the parent who was spell. You know, he he couldn't say anything. He was like really spellbound. Mm. But at the same time, school is sending in sharing literature of work that is happening. So parents are aware that these discussions are happening in class. For again, you asked me, how do you ensure that it's not telling? Actually, there is no telling in this. This is doing. So a child who's patrolling will not make a noise about the fact that some other one has not done his job. He will go and switch it off. So it is an you know another child observing action happening yeah so it is by doing you are leading by example and i think that's the best way yeah you you don't tell Absolutely. you do they say the three laws of parenting are example 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 only that yeah. yes and they lead by example yeah. and are, do children understand it as young as 5 i mean are they do they understand that this is leadership i mean how do you see that now when they go into their teens because you know i feel in many cases young the younger they are the more open they are to to change and ideas but something happens when they get into teenage years is it traditional education where all those sort of ideas of i want to be an astronaut i want to be an engineer i want to do something change the world now they get into their 12s and 13s and 14s and their study 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 all that suddenly goes away how do we keep that momentum going for us this practice of nurturing intrinsic motivation to make changes differences is a continuous process it doesn't stop there these same very kids keep moving from class to class and these are reiterated you know it would be in a larger form you see children coming to the primary children coming to the middle school similar activities that would happen on a larger scale Firstly it is confined to your classroom or maybe you know around your classroom then you do it for the entire school then you step out into community and work so this is something that is stressed on and when i say stressed on it is opportunities i keep talking about opportunities opportunities are provided by the school by teachers for children to intrinsically feel about issues and that's when they are motivated to make that change so i do understand the role of media social media specifically where there's so much of comparison so much of information but i think consciously as a school we have always spoken about values discernment is something we focused on so much you know children to discern right from wrong you have hordes of information being poured out to you how do you sift through that so that you know what is right and what is wrong it's amazing to see children talking about well-being coming with proposals because they become so sensitized to what they're seeing around them within their classrooms they are able to pick children who are perhaps not looking all that good mm. not you know they they're so sensitive to it i have proposals after proposals coming from our student body you know we'd like to work on this we'd like to work on that this is going to address this issue it's amazing and 
fortunately for me, I've been in the system. I have students who were with me at Ballastier in 2008. They have kind of moved up now. I've seen them grow and I've seen that passion in them to make a change. Bullying is something that is so widely prevalent, cyberbullying. I have my own students telling me this is happening. We need to do something about it. Maybe, maybe, mm. you know, this maybe is awesome. When it, it makes me feel so proud that students want to take ownership when they see something wrong. For me, this is pure leadership. They have no designation. They have no title. Because we do have a formal structure where you have a prefect council who will get batched. More and more proposals are coming from students who are not batched. And that is the success of this entire leadership program that we so consciously run. Have you been surprised by some of the proposals that have come out of the program? I mean, you've talked about the bullying one, which I think is great, because it's not like, let's wait until we're told to do something, mm. or there's a project and therefore let's do it for that. They're just waiting for a green light from you, yeah. or the resources maybe, or some advice. Mm. What sort of proposals have come out of the program that maybe have surprised you? You know, most recent one was on food waste. Mm. Students here, children here in Singapore actually are cocooned. They, they don't see much of it. You know, so canteen, they'll take their food. They, the proposal that surprised me most was when these three or four kids came to me and they're what, grade nine. They're not even into the council yet. And they said, you know, ma'am, we go and eat our lunch Students are leaving so much of food in their tray. And I said, oh, yeah? Sh should we not do something about it? I said, you tell me, because that's my immediate thing. You tell me how we can address it, because, okay, we'll think through and we'll come. And these are kids who would be the normal average kids otherwise, unnoticed, you know? Coming forward, having the courage to wanting to change that, because it has direct impact on food hunger, you know, world hunger. So, for me, these are surprising things. Or wanting to go organic, you know, organic food. We should grow our own crops. That is, like, surprising for me. It's like everything is available in the supermarket. Why do you want to do this? No, we need to make less use of pesticides. We need to encourage that. We need to have terrace garden. We need to have our home garden. I think these are beautiful thoughts. You know, so yeah, these are surprises that come off and on to me. Yeah. You know? These are the skills as an employer. Let's move away from the parent aspect. As an employer, looking at the marketplace now, these are the skills which I find are very short in supply here in Singapore and Asia and generally in the world as well, I expect. And yet you can't see them necessarily on a CV. Mm because they go well beyond that. And yet, if I had that person working in my team who said to me, I didn't wait for you to tell me what the problem was, but I did some research and this is what I found. And now I need your help. Yeah. And they're not saying in a way, you know, I need you to tell me what to do. Like you say, you know, tell me what's mm. the problem. I just want the green light or I need some resources or I need some support. Those employees, if you can even call them that, are worth... Millions. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they're game changers in business and society as well. 
And yet, I suppose the problem now goes back to we still have to test people. We still have to measure people. We still have to have a CV that looks like this. So there's still – is there some kind of training that you need to do on the other side with teachers and maybe even employers and universities so they can understand the value of these skills? How do you put it on paper? I think we do it in all sides. For children to have this kind of freedom – our teachers need to be empowered too. I need to be empowered as a principal. Mm. So I think there's this chain reaction that is happening. I wouldn't want this covered, but our chairman, he's very free as far as all these initiatives go. He gives you the freedom to do it. I, in turn, give my teachers, pick up any project you want to do, anything that you feel passionate about, pick it up and do it. Just let me know what it is and, you know, I am in sync with it. Likewise, they provide that for their students. So I think the world will become better. Now, universities is the next place where our children will step in. That is what we are doing with universities too. We ourselves are reaching out to universities. One is, of course, trying to find out what they are looking for. But secondly, is also telling them that this is a product you have who is a willing proactive individual who wants to do, wants to make a change. So you have a ready student here. I think that's what we are focusing on also, skill acquisition. Making sure children have the requisite skills to think. You know, we all talk about 21st century skills, ability to be creative, communicate. That is exactly what they are living here. I think universities and I'm talking about the best universities, are recognizing that fact mm. that children who are coming from GIS have this in them. Their ability to communicate effectively, articulate their deepest desires that they have to make a difference. I think our students are doing well at university too because of this kind of training that they've been getting. Mm. And one of the discussions that we had here, I spoke to Atul last time, we were talking about school of the future. And when I hear those words, that's a very brave statement, because you're talking about many of the things we're talking about now, which don't come easy. You have to make a conscious decision. You have to have a chairman and a principal who are behind this idea, who are maybe willing to do something which isn't the easy option to do what's always been done. Mm. And yet you're making a conscious change. So you're focusing on the skills, the rounded individual, you know, the the ability to learn, to make decisions, to be a leader, all these aspects that parents want to see in their children, as well as employers want to see in their potential team. But school of the future, I mean, what does that look like? If you could think forward, I know you're you're creating it here. But if we could go forward maybe 20, 30, 40 years and maybe other schools will look at what you're doing here at Smart Campus and GIS and so on. And they were saying, oh, we need to change. What does it look like? How would it fundamentally look different to the school that you went to in Mumbai? So technology is a strong point of this campus or a school of the future because technology is now very native to children who are growing up. Tied up with that, the values, the strong values. There's this beautiful balance that is going on with our students, 
that we see is needed for the future you need to be skilled you need to have the edge but at the same time you need to have those values built within you so that you are clearly able to discern what you use this knowledge that you have got as power what do you use it for you could use it very destructively but if you have that discernment to be able to use this edge that you've got effectively to make change for the better i think that is school of the future mm. wherein you have a beautiful balance of a sound person standing there who's able to discern right from wrong and why do i say this is because it's so very easy to be swayed because of the exposure that you have all around you it's so easy to get swayed now if we can have that kind of a student who has the strong personality who has the requisite skills but has a discernment how to use those skills that is school of the future what would you do if um I'm just throwing some questions out here because let's deal with some of the challenges if a student said to their parent and I've preempted this conversation with my son who's turning 14 soon I don't want to go to university I want to go and explore you know or you know I want to start my own business because I heard Google aren't recruiting people with degrees now mm. or they're not they are recruiting people with degrees but they're not considering degrees so School of the future is great. I love this idea, but it doesn't come without these challenges as well, which we need to address. Do you see maybe th- there are challenges for the parents as well that you know addressing that? Okay, school. If we're going to teach these children these skills, we also have to let go of some ideas as well. We have to let go of something to accommodate all these new values as well. what aspects do you think we'll do less of in school of the future what do you think will become less a part of school life possibly coming physically to school wow. virtual schooling that may increase risk taking will increase you know not going by the stereotype but ability to take risk and fortunately for us the newer parents are of course growing with this information at hand mm. and the openness to embrace it parents are willing to take the risk they are willing to allow their children to take the risk because they see that training them the way they were trained will no longer hold the children in good stead so rather let them take the chances See, I think the other aspect is dealing with failure. Mm. I think that's a big, big thing that one needs to work with. Teaching children to deal with failure, work with failure, accept failure, and simultaneously talking to parents about it—that it's okay. Like we had our student who has got a forty-five on forty-five. She wanted university, NUS. for whatever reason she didn't get into nus she didn't have a problem she's waited she's waited one whole year she's taken a gap year she's got into ucl she didn't think of it as a failure 
Of hmm. course, it hurt her that she didn't get. What more than forty-five out of forty-five? So I think this, and her parents have been accepting of that. So it's okay. It's all right. She didn't get it. It's all right. So yes, it'll take time, but I think parents are coming around. How do you teach failure to? Indian families. <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of exposure to Indian culture. I used to have a business in India. Obviously, I work very closely with Indians as well, and uh, I, I think obviously you're well aware of it from your schooling as well. There's the old saw where the Indian father says to his son, "That son, you can be whatever you like. You can be doctor, engineer, doctor." And I think the idea of failure is maybe something first this generation has to think about for all these reasons that you're talking about to make change. But you can't have all of that without this ability to embrace failure. You can't have all of these great qualities unless first you accept that you're going to make mistakes. So where does it start? How do you teach failure to families who have those expectations, all the aunts and uncles and all those wedding conversations about your son or your daughter is going to become an accountant or go to medical school? And where do you start with all that? Because it's so entrenched, isn't it, in the culture? It is. It is. But like I said, we don't work in silos and vacuum. Parent engagement is very high for GIS. So when we embark on any such concept, Parents are brought in. There's a lot of talking that happens, a lot of engagement activities that happen, projects that are done and children have failed and we talk about it, you know, that it's all right. Mm. Child can do something else. We've had, we do counseling sessions with parents. We have a behavior counselor as well as a career counselor. And career counselor has documented cases of failure and successes post failure. Wherein, as testimonies, these are shared with parents. You know, so I'm not saying it's all hunky-dory, that all parents are with us. Of course, we have a few who will not accept, will not accept that their child can ever fail. Mm. But well, we have to keep at it, talking, convincing, you know, being persuasive in our approach and giving enough testimonies that after success, surely, after failure, sorry, surely comes success. Yeah. You, you don't remain where you are. You will always move. We've won over a few parents. We've lost some parents. But I guess that's the game. We mm -hmm. will have to keep at it. Mm. And likewise for students. Some students are extremely hard on themselves. You know, they are not able to take failure then they need more of the counselling, more of the talking. How, how do you start with those kind of uh, situations where you have a student who may be a high performer, a lot of expectations, fear of failure is probably very high, and yet they, in the, the wider world, they have to be more robust now, that they may not have this track which they of could success. follow from, you know, from graduation all the way to retirement. That doesn't exist anymore. Where do you start with those kind of students who may have high expectations? You talked about the counselling, for example, and maybe you show them case study testimonials that actually failure is not fatal. It's part of the process. Mm. Where, where does that work? Is it in the classroom? Is it in the projects that you do here? It actually starts in the classroom because you can clearly identify the top performers, the highly ambitious students. You can, you can identify them when you're in the classroom. 
So it starts right there. And we've always believed, personally I've believed, the earlier you encounter failure, the far better it is for you. So students would be put through difficult projects, you know, maybe where goals may not be met completely. And then there are conversations that happen around that, that, you know, if you've not done this, it's fine. You can look at something else. So at every level, teachers begin these conversations first. You have your class teachers, the homeroom teacher. You'll have a subject teacher who walks in. There are coordinators who talk. Cases which, well, I, I shouldn't say cases, but students that would not be managed within classroom then are kind of introduced hmm. very subtly to a professional counsellor who would then try and understand what is the root of this. <laughs> More often than not, it is the parents and the oh, home. Yeah. So then we know where to go. We start there. We start those conversations. Mm. Like I say in all my you know, career time, we have won over. We have won over parents. And some we've lost who, no matter what you do, will pressure their kids to perform. Mm. You know, so it's not a perfect world, but I guess we are getting there. Getting better. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole idea of education not being just about what happens in school, you can't, I mean, traditionally that's what happened, that parents would send them off, they would come home with their grades effectively. And yet so much more happens outside that influences what happens on the inside. You talked about the parents, for example, their attitudes to failure. I even think for my examples is, I remember one instance when my son was holding, I think, a bowl of cereal and he dropped it. And my natural reaction would have been to say, you know, what, what, what are you doing? I can't swear on radio. <laughs> but that would have been my natural instinct because that's what would have happened with me. Would, in my day, I would have got clipped around the ear, etc. And yet, I think there's that sort of moment of awareness and thinking, okay, let's clean it up. Now you've just learned not to hold it like that. And there was a lesson in that, something to take away. So the parents and their natural reactions, I think we need to kind of work on a little bit to unprogram what we've been programmed for many, many years in education. Absolutely. And if we can work there, that then also helps the child and gives them a green light to behave like that. So there's a lot of work really looking, redefining the school, not just as the center of cramming knowledge into people's head, but, you know, making them this whole child for the society and community in which they live, right? So how do we need to rethink about school and school of the future, its role? I mean, all the stakeholders, who are they? It's not just teachers and students, is it? And that must also change our idea of what we do. You know, if we're teachers, we're not just doing this in the classroom. We've got to think about what happens when that child goes home and my relationships with the parents and everything like that. How is that changing and evolving now, the kind of conversations we're having about school? What are you seeing? So I think community interaction is increasing. So we have, you know, sessions that happen with the community. So wherever there are conferences and seminars, either school is presenting a paper or we are attending and sharing our ideas. We have parent sessions that happen. We have newsletters that go out. And it's not only for our existing parents, but it is out for the public too. You subscribe to it, you have access to it. 
So these important topics get picked up. Professionals are writing blogs, sending out newsletters. So I think in our own way we are talking about these things. Mm-hmm. These are difficult conversations. They are not easy to, you know, kind of manage. But we've taken that step. So we have our counselor who writes for parenting. We have parenting sessions. We have, uh, I think now there are. We've just begun webinars. So, I think from that perspective, like you say, this ecosystem has to be, hmm. you know, nurtured along. There was a time when we used to say, you know, we are not only working with children anymore. We've got to work with more than children, and bandwidth used to always be an issue. But now we've come to believe that if that cushioning is not there, mm. then what you do inside, unfortunately, may not sustain. So we will teach children empowerment, you know, to be empowered. But if they don't have a cushion outside, people speaking the same language, it'll die down. Yeah. So I guess we need to work with that concentric model. You work with a child in school. then we know child is going to step out of school so you need to start working with the parents the community the partners the academic partners so we've been contributing our thoughts even to the boards you know the affiliating boards that we'd like learning to be like this give them more freedom let projects walk in at least for our national curriculum So I think endeavor is to kind of reach out as far as possible to create this kind of ecosystem of support, of understanding, of changing the dialogue and conversation. Mm. So I guess that's what is happening now. The idea of you have to work with more than just the children, the students is, like you say, this is a difficult conversation, isn't it? it in a way. I suppose leadership comes down to your ability to do what's right, the discernment, as opposed to what's popular, and that's what defines a leader. They can make those decisions and take people where they need to go rather than where they want to go, and that requires the ability to understand, like you say, what is good for people, and also be somehow able to separate yourself, maybe from criticism, or The noise, and those qualities, I feel, and if if the leadership here are taking those decisions, those will reflect in the students as well. And you're building this community of people who are on board with the idea. Like you say, it's, it's no good just teaching this to the children, and then they go home to families in a society or an ecosystem which then unlearns all that. Mm. And I'm going to ask you about. What your hopes are for the future, but you, you, as you said, it's not easy. What, what do you do when parents turn up and they, you know, I don't want my teach, I don't want my kids to be a leader. I don't want my kids to tell me to turn the lights off. You know, that's not what I feel schools should do. You're going to get those criticisms, and I think that's the hallmark of leadership. That if you're not getting criticised, you're not leading. You're not doing anything that's making a difference. If you look at all these people in society now, like who are, who are standing up on the platform and talking about climate change, for example, that young seventeen-year-old um, Swedish girl Greta Thunberg, for example, she's getting criticised for doing that, right? But that's the sign of leadership. 
that's the mark of it. How do you manage that? I mean, obviously, you must get that kind of conversation come to you once in a while. More than once in a while. You're a teacher. You've heard this so many times. How do you deal with that? And I'm I'm doing this, firstly, for other teachers that are listening. How do I deal with that when people come to me and they're they're upset because, you know, you're teaching these skills to a child and it's not what I think that, you know, a good education, you know, traditionally should be and so on. How do I manage that? I can give you my personal example. I think I've always engaged with parents. Always brought them for a meeting, try to understand what is it that is really, really bothering them. Mm. And what I've learned is that it's a deep concern they have. Deep concern that their kid would not succeed. Deep concern that the child may fail. So it's this pure love and concern that's the root cause. Now, then we, we get into those conversations that you have to let go of your fear and trust your child to perform. All you need to do is stand back and support, you know, be there for them. And yes, there may be times that your child fails. So what? You know, still be there for them. Provide that cushioning. Sometimes you have parents who will not accept it. But I'm fortunate. Maybe I have the persuasive nature in me ability to convince. I've had parents, one parents over, you know. I think engaging in conversations and therefore it's not one person's job. I can't meet all the 2000 parents. How do you do it then? This kind of language is spoken by the entire school community. So that if there is a class parent who is having these kind of thoughts and concerns, then the class teacher starts. You you start addressing them as you see it happening. Don't wait for it to blow out of, you know. I, I personally and strongly feel that when you're convinced about what is right, it's easy to convince someone else. If it is a shallow thought in your mind, then the parent will rip you apart, you know. So every time we engage with parents, it's our conviction that comes to the fore. Mm. It's this belief that we strongly have about children and their abilities that we are able to you know, convey to parents, win them over. Yeah, and, and the parent themselves, like you say, I mean, this is great advice for teachers, may be coming from a much deeper position of worry or concern, love. ultimately love. Yeah. And you know that's shared by everybody here, the, the, you know, the mission. The objective is the same, isn't it, for Absolutely. everybody? It's just expressed in different ways. And so when somebody comes to you and they're upset, a teacher would deal with that by hearing them out first. What is it that the issue is? And then, you know, once they've sat and listened to them, then finally you're getting to the, the real issue. Actually, we are on the same side. The parent and the teacher is yeah. very much on the same side. And I think that is what we kind of get parents to see. That Why would I want something wrong for your child? I will always want the best for your child just like you want. And so we are both on the same side. And therefore we both need to form this bond so that we become that cushion for your child to move forward. It, it definitely works. Yeah, I believe. Moving forward, looking at the future, 
we have people listening to this podcast. They could be parents, they could be students, they could be teachers, they could be faculty, they could be educators in the broader sense in society, or just people involved who are passionate about education and learning and leadership themselves. What conversations do you want to have? What do you want to see more of what kind of people I mean you're very much about building this community with the alumni with the you know going beyond the school the community what kind of people should be connecting or should be reaching out who maybe think oh well you know maybe I'm not really relevant to the school maybe you just want to teach to you know learned professors who study education and learning which is fine they have a place but 90% of the community may feel that it's something that they they can't get involved in so who, who do you want to hear from who should be connecting who should be connecting with the the whole school and the idea of leadership and the school of the future here i think everyone has a role to play you have policy makers you have future employers you have the government as a whole i mean everybody has a role to play in what we are preparing today because what we prepare today these kids are going to walk out they need to have a similar kind of an environment there too if we are not going to allow for these kind of you know authentic experiences it's there's no point if the school prepares them to think for themselves and then the community outside or the place that they are going to work or the university they go for have a flipped idea of what learning is all about or what taking a decision is all about so i think as far as we are concerned when we say school of the future we expect maybe expect is a wrong word but we would want you know the community the policy makers the education department governments universities all of them to understand that there is this deep potential within students Yes we need to have structures no doubt it's not like a free flow but there is potential within students they should have authentic experiences not ready ready made experiences given on a plate for them to you know go through yeah give them that opportunity to have an authentic experiential process of learning and contributing So in that context if you ask me it goes beyond school college university a lot many people who make decisions about things so maybe you know these kind of engagements and conversations need to go beyond only the academic arena yeah absolutely so if i was working at google or i work at the ministry of education and i'm listening to this conversation i think i really enjoyed listening to Melissa's story and also some of the 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 key talking points that you've touched upon what do i do how do i connect with you what would be the form in which we could maybe i could explore a little bit about what you're doing here or even just start the conversation look, look at what we're doing in my company or in my department that i think might be really relevant here or would like to learn a bit about what you're doing here where's that natural starting point how do you want those people to contact you they could write to me a letter maybe a mail or you know ask for a meeting yeah. or invite me over i'd love to go with my students if 
my students get an opportunity to go to google and talk about what they want to do that's a starting point you know i think we can reach out for one another yeah Yeah. So, You're open to that. That's the point, isn't Definitely. it? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean not all education institutions are because you're so focused internally, but you're very much open to these conversations and people contact you and say most, like listen to this conversation. Most open. Kids need to have like I said authentic experiences. Yeah. It happens where they are going to go forward. You know, so more than open. Fantastic. Well, that's Melissa Maria, principal of Smart Campus based here in GIS in Singapore, sharing some of her thoughts on nurturing the students as leaders of tomorrow. Really enjoyed this conversation both as a parent and educator and also interested in the wider idea of students their role in society as well as an employer. How important that is. This whole idea of taking education out of the school campus into this broader idea of society and community in these ecosystems you're building. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Beautiful uh, session, Graham. Thank you for all the thought-provoking questions. My pleasure. My pleasure entirely. Thank you. You've been listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. To learn more about GIIS, our community, and our latest thinking, visit us at www.globalindianschool.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.